You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is our review of Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, titled The Long Night. another episode of next best series i am your host matt neglia on april 30th 2019 time of recording 9 21 p.m we are going over game of thrones season 8 episode 3 titled the long night directed by miguel sapochnik and written by david benioff and db weiss joining me for this podcast review i have jc aldrich hi everybody dan bayer valor morgulis and special guest for this episode. Oh, wait, sorry. I actually forgot. We also have Josh Williams. Wow. Thanks, Matt. And joining us as a special guest for this episode, we also have Ryan McQuaid from Incession Film. Jesus, please. We're starting off with a bang, folks. Listen, it's a big episode. We needed some big help over here. And Ryan, I'm very, very happy that you could help us out with this one because there is... Whew, there is quite a lot to talk about in episode three of the eighth season. It is the episode that we have been waiting eight seasons for since the very first scene of the show. The White Walker threat has finally arrived at Winterfell. Our heroes are all mobilized, with the exception of Braun. He is somewhere doing something uh, with a crossbow or another. But otherwise, everybody else is all in one place ready to fight against the army of the dead. I want to first go over general thoughts about this episode, then I will go into scene-by-scene scene specifics, and then we'll uh, break it down from there. So, passing it over to JC first. JC, ultimately, what did you think of episode three, The Long Night? It was a marathon. I mean, uh, an hour and a half, that's like a pretty, like, that's, you know, that's almost, I feel like that's like a slow-paced 5K or maybe, or maybe I'm just really slow. I don't know, but that's what it felt like. Um, I felt out of breath from the moment that Melisandre lit up those swords to the moment the show ended. Um, it and it was such a powerful episode. It wasn't perfect, but I just I could watch it over and over again. You know, it, it was one of those episodes that. I didn't think was boring. Um, I normally can't withstand super long battle sequences, but this was one that I could just, I enjoyed watching um, from what I could see. I mean, I luckily was not one of the ones who had issues with uh, the darkness um, and I just loved it. It was such a good time. Um, it, it also helped that I did see it with somebody else. And I always feel like episodes like this are just way more enjoyable when you get to watch them with another person or other people who can kind of roll with the punches with you and go through those ups and downs. So I'm excited to talk about it. Okay. All right. Dan Bayer, what about you? Um, I, oh boy. Um, I somehow managed to avoid 
any spoilers for 24 hours after the episode aired. Wow. Um, I, I had spent the weekend visiting friends in D.C. and got back after a six-hour bus ride to my apartment in New York City um, at 8 p.m. And at that point, I was like, I, I don't have the... Um, physical or mental or emotional energy to attempt to watch this live right now. So I waited um, and it was a very good thing I did because I mean, literally from the very first shot of this thing, I, my heartbeat rose. I was clutching whatever I could get my hands on fingernails, digging into everything. I was on the edge of my seat for just about the whole time. And I, oh, just the, if nothing else, this episode is really, really fucking masterful at um, the rise and release of tension. Uh, it's really stellar at that. Um, I, I have like tiny issues with, with some of the storytelling choices, but overall, I thought it was so satisfying. Um, like you said, this is the episode that we've been waiting for since the very first scene of the very first episode of the very first season. And it did not let me down on the front of spectacle. And honestly, in terms of macro storytelling, I thought it was all bang on. There were so many things that paid off in this episode from a long time ago. And I, it was surprising and emotional and it, I mean, yeah, I was, I was wiped. I was done with the day when this was over. It was, I needed a cigarette and I don't smoke. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it, it, was every, it was everything. I, w I was, it left me exhausted. And I think that's how it's supposed to be. All right. Josh Williams, what about you? I also really enjoyed the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, definitely uh, intense. And I had a lot of anxiety for a good majority of it because I didn't know who was going to die at what time and how they were going to die and what was going to happen and all the theories leading up to it and all the predictions for who was going to die were just swirling in my head. But I, like JC, didn't have an issue with the darkness when I watched it at all. I did. It was, I thought it was fine. I do have, I have, I think I only really have one small issue with the episode that I'm sure we'll get to later, but I'm not even sure it's an issue because it could come up in the next, since there's still three episodes left, it could come up in the next three episodes. So I'm not too upset, but I do think the, the choreography of the battle is really cool. There's some of the most stunning shots I've ever seen in the entire show. Like in this episode alone, there's three or four I can think of off the top of my head. And just some of the twists and turns and callbacks to other episodes are just, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Okay. And our guest, Ryan. Oh, he brought me on for the, the the best of the best episode, right, Matt? Save me for that. I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, I've been bugging him about coming on and talking Game of Thrones because I never get to talk about Game of Thrones unless it's with my wife. Um, and we get to end, like, all, half our theories got shot to hell this week, right? Um, I l like this episode a lot. I'm, I'm going to echo a lot of 
what everyone has already said. Um, but I've I've want to kind of push back on the idea that this has been the episode I've always been looking forward to. This has been the episode I've been always looking forward to, but wanting to get past. In that, this story to me has never been about the Night King. To me, it's never been about that. It's always about the Game of Thrones, literally the title of the show. And this episode proved my theory that the first half of the season was about that story. And now the second half of the season will be about something completely, you know, be about the other half. And I think for what it was, the callbacks, the tension, the drama, the length, I thought it was really good. It was a really solid episode. Um, in terms of battles, it's not my favorite. I would still say probably the Battle of the Bastards is a, a better shot. Um, Mikhail Sapochnik episode of television, but there's a lot of impressive things in here. There's some um, different things that they do with characters to avert expectations, um, especially at the end that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I, I watched this twice because of the darkness the first time I saw it, but then I also thought about it after that first time I saw it, I couldn't get it out of my head. I had to watch it again. I went and pulled up YouTube clips and watched them watch certain scenes again. Uh, and I think what also was so great about this was it just felt so cinematic. At the end of the day, for all the nitpicks in the story, we can say is this is what Game of Thrones is all about. It's truly cinematic television. While it's not my favorite, I really did enjoy the episode, and I can't wait to dive into this with you guys. And I will say that I definitely have some criticisms of this episode, and yes, I have been very vocal about some of the criticisms that have been leveled at this episode. I do think some of the criticisms of it are a bit unfounded and really are a, a tad bit more subjective than objective. For example, expectations versus reality. Mm -hmm. um, I will never, I will never, you know, kind of use that as a criticism uh, because it, it, you saying it didn't, you know, do what you wanted it to do is you not judging what is, you know what I mean? So my criticisms of the episode definitely are about what is there. And I said this at the top of the season. I said this in the very first episode. I said, no matter what happens in the show, no matter how they try to subvert our expectations or whatever twists they throw in the story, as long as it makes sense and I feel something when it happens, I'm okay with it. It could be something that I never, ever predicted would happen. And believe me when I tell you, I did not think that what happened in this episode was going to happen. <laughs> I Did anyone predict the climactic events i think a couple people on uh reddit of course figured it out like one or two people i saw i had called it a little while back but not I, it clearly wasn't the majority <laughs> i think it was joe i think it was joanna robinson on vanity fair she did mention this when she was talking about expectations about a year or so ago so this was a theory that she put out there that that very last scene was could happen and so I think that that's, that's one of the only people I've seen on there that was correct about it. It's wild how shell-shocked 
we so many of us were. It's crazy that I mean it makes so much sense right. when when you get into her character arc, into our character arc, and yet it came up so rarely in any discussion I've had with anyone, like yeah. outside of this channel or within it. Yeah. It's crazy. I agree. It was something that the the groundwork has always been there. And we all kind of just ignored it, essentially. And I'm going to get into the reasons why when we get to the scene. I want to start us off with the first scene because, once again, this is the longest episode in Game of Thrones history at 82 minutes long. So there's a lot of ground to cover here. So I'm, And I did it's my going best. to be the longest even by the end of this season, right? I believe so because yeah. they're saying the last two episodes are 80 minutes long each, which would be two minutes less than Short. tonight's episode. Yeah. But for mm -hmm. all we know, they could still be editing those to the last minute. And it could fluctuate. So... I'm not 100% sure on that. We'll know when, you know, when the episodes go up. So until then, let's start us off with the very, very beginning here. Uh, so first thing first, no previously on. Nope. Which I was like, oh, they're really, really trying not to let on about what could happen in this episode because they don't want to do any callbacks, essentially, mm. which I think was very smart because if they had revealed on the previously on, uh, for example, Melisandre's conversation with Arya back in season three, I think that that would have tipped it off to us that something was going down, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm actually very, very happy that they didn't do it previously on. Uh, but let's get into the episode itself here. So we have a tracking shot that starts on Sam's trembling hands as we see everyone in Winterfell uh, in the courtyard prepare for battle. He sees others doing uh, going down to the crypts, but and he takes uh, dragonglass daggers and he goes off with the troops as we shift focus from Sam to Tyrion, who is begrudgingly going down to the crypts with wine and a dragonglass dagger. We see Bran being wheeled off to the godswood. We see Davos preparing with archers on the battlements as Sansa and Arya overlook the field. They hear the roar of the dragons as Jon and Danny fly overhead. The Unsullied are in formation with the Dothraki on horseback in the front lines. Brienne, Podrick, Jaime, Grey Worm, Tormund, Beric, Gendry, the Hound, Ed, Sam, and countless others all wait, as do we. Jorah is leading the Dothraki with ghosts behind him. Uh, John and Danny disembark uh, on their dragons, and they look over the field from afar. No one can see anything into the dark night. So just in terms of setting the mood here, before everything kind of started happening, what did you guys think of these opening uh, first couple of minutes here? I mean, like I said, like it plunged me right into the mood. And mm -hmm. I, my, I was on edge practically from the very first second it started i you can feel the energy and how how tense everyone is and how focused everyone is um and that you know that one long take tracking shot i mean ugh, god i love it whenever that is deployed with good reason and i think this was a fantastic example of that somebody uh commented during the episode at my viewing party are they gonna birdman this whole episode and i was like yo <laughs> wouldn't that be something <laughs> i think that would be way too much even for this show <laughs> uh i really really liked that they started on sam and the trembling hands ah, oh my god i thought that was the perfect mood setter right then and there in terms of just getting us ready for what is to come because we've seen battles on the show before 
you know like we we've even seen uh the sh- uh, the soldiers be scared before the battle uh takes place remember last season season seven the lannister's sh- sh- uh, soldiers like shaking as the dothraki were charging at them and stuff like battle of blackwater people were throwing up on the ship you know we've seen stuff like this before but to see mm-hmm. it with the characters that we really really care about Mm -hmm. that was definitely something that really set in for me right from the very beginning because we went into this episode knowing we were going to lose characters so there was just this overriding sense of dread right from the very beginning yeah for sure yeah and and i i think that this first scene really set the tone perfectly for the rest of this episode in terms of a real horror-esque episode it feels like really diving into the fantasy element of the show, um, you know, with a lot of other scenes that we'll mention later, Matt. But I, I was, I was very much, this was calm before the storm, but you could just feel like I was clinching already. <laughs> the pillows next to me, I was like, okay, wh- what's gonna happen? Like I was already like anticipating it all day, and then I'm just like, just, just do it already, just do it already. There's no calm about this at all. Yeah. <laughs> and we've seen episodes like Watchers on the Wall that took place in a single location where the first 20 minutes or so are dialogue between the characters and that anticipation like we talked about here. But in this episode, for it to be the longest episode and for only the first, I said 10 minutes before, but I think it's even less than that. Just the first couple of minutes uh, to just be not even these dialogue scenes, but just this anxious waiting. I, I was very, very thoroughly impressed. And I mean, Raman Jawadi's music also did some stuff in this episode that I've never heard before in the show. And a lot of that uh, was definitely employed here for the horrific elements, as you said uh, before, Dan. So uh, next scene, there is a single writer approaching. It's Melisandre, who we haven't seen since season seven. She's back from Volantis. My homie. Davos sees her as she approaches <laughs> uh, Jorah and Vidofraki. <laughs> she asks Jorah to tell Vidofraki to lift their swords. And she performs a spell which lights all of their swords on fire. Everyone is amazed and smiling at this new advantage. Jorah pulls out his sword, Heartsbane, and gets ready to lead while Melisandre passes Grey Worm and says, Valar Magulis. And he replies, somebody say it. Valadoharis. Davos opens the gate to let Melisandre inside. He approaches her right away, ready to kill her. And she says, there's no need to execute me as I will be dead before the dawn. He lets her pass as she locks eyes with Arya for a brief moment. Okay. So here's my first criticism of the episode. Oh, shit. And this is a a realistic criticism. And I will not tell anybody that they are wrong for saying this. But Dothraki have regular swords. Why do they not have dragon glass swords? Yeah. I thought that same thing. Wait, well, I okay. thought the scythes were dragon glass. The way dragon glass has been depicted on the show with its rough edges and the fact that it's dark and black, I looked at these uh, swords that the Dothraki had. It did not appear that way at all. So if it is supposed to be that way, it doesn't look that way. But you don't need dragon glass to kill whites, right? You can just kill whites with whatever. No, 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 because it, was, it has yeah. to be fire or Valyrian steel. The, uh, John said that when they brought the white back to Cersei at the end of last season. Well, mm-hmm. so then I guess it wouldn't matter then as long as since she did. I mean, that's so. But if they're not expecting her to show up, then what was their exactly. plan? Exactly. No, you're I right. Don't, that is... I don't know, because in in the help me in uh, beyond the wall in season seven, 
The only person with uh, Valyrian steel is John. Correct, but the rest of them all had dragon glass. No, they didn't. Gendry yes, they had did. like the hammer, and then and the, the hound and they takes showed it. that the hammer didn't work when the hound used it on one of them to uh, crush him. It got right back up. So then he, uh, oh, I missed. Then he hits the lake, and the white falls into the lake. Then he throws the hammer away, and he takes out a dragon glass instead. Oh, I missed that. Then I thought you could kill whites with whatever. I was always under that impression. No, whites have to die by either fire or with dragon glass. Oh, well then, I don't, then I don't know what their plan was. <laughs> I, I I think it's a, I think it's a very very glaring p plot hole. Uh, I honestly. didn't notice. <laughs> I didn't. I I will say like I was, even though they sort of laid out the plan, of, of attack in last episode, I thought that was one of my biggest uh, weakness of this episode was, a lot of the plan seemed, not very well planned. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe they didn't expect to charge in because I think once the fire lit, they were yeah. like, oh, I guess we can run at them. So maybe the plan wasn't. I understand that the Dothraki are dangerous on an open field on horseback. I, I totally get why you would want them to go first. I get that. Yeah. But what I don't understand is you're sending what appears to be a few thousand Dothraki against an army of a hundred thousand. Yeah. And even then, it still just does. It it still feels like, it. it I don't know. Anyway, we're not we're not up to the charge just yet. But uh, what I will say is, I think the plan, Dan. You're right. The more I thought about this, logistically speaking, some aspects of it did make sense. Others did not make sense. Like they kind of tried to write themselves out of a corner in the second episode uh, by saying that John and Danny don't want to use the dragons right away because they have to lure the Night King in, essentially. Otherwise, if they have the dragons circling the godswood, he won't come for Bran. But meanwhile, like, my brain is telling me, he's going to come for Bran no matter what you do. <laughs> and that's what I was thats what I was under the impression of, at least. And he's also got yeah. a dragon, too, that, you know, can easily go toe-to-toe -to -toe with what they have, So, and that, like we right. see in the episode. so. And I want to say, uh, even though their script is not 100% perfect here, I just want to give credit to David and Dan for at least trying, because the logistics behind having all these different characters, the different elements of the different armies, the strategies that have to get involved, the dragons, and just plotting this thing out must have been a logistical nightmare. It has oh, to yeah. Be. It has to be, just from the standpoint of, you know, even in going back to Battle of the Bastards, Jon Snow wasn't really like the best tactician in terms of figuring out a strategy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Knights of the Veil save his butt at the end of that episode, and really Sansa saves him at the end of that episode. Right. <laughs> um, and so the strategy in here is to not necessarily, there's not like a game plan, there's just kind of put everyone out there and and just survive and the the goal isn't the whites it's it's the night king yeah and so yeah i don't really think and i know this kind of sounds selfish i don't think john really gives a crap about anybody except destroying that night king and you know and and that was the that's the goal it brings me back to like the memes in like season seven where it's like people are having interesting dialogue and everybody's talking about different things going on in Game of Thrones and all John can care about is the Night King. It's like, yeah. we don't have any time for this. The Night King is coming. <laughs> oh, there goes John again on his Night King rant. Yeah. I, I do think that um, uh, w w 
um, geez, I forget who said it. Now. I think it was you, Josh. That um, the, like maybe the plan changed one for the Dothraki once they had the fiery size. Which I have to say, the second she came back and she told them to raise their weapons, I was like, oh, she's gonna do it. She's yeah. gonna <laughs> light them on fire. And I was get, I was so excited. Cool visual. It, it was of... it was beautiful. And again, it was yeah. beautiful shot. shot. I, I know we haven't gotten to the surge yet, but like I know people complained about the darkness of the episode, but I actually really liked it. It forced me to like lean into my TV and try to see things. Like I'm sure all of them were like it takes place in darkest night, you know, um, which I thought that was so cool and really well done. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, titled The Long Night. In order to get the full review, you will have to head out over to our Patreon page, Patreon at Next Best Picture, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get this review along with other exclusive podcast content from nextbestpicture.com, including movie reviews, theater content, and more television content as well. Once again, Patreon, Next Best Picture, $1 minimum a month. You have been listening to the Next Best Series podcast, part of nextbestpicture.com. You can subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support. Thank you once again for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.